Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. So my, we had to take the minivan in to the shop yesterday. Uh, I drive a 2006 Ooh. Toyota Sienna. Spicy. It is pretty cool. Barely broken in. Yeah, barely. Yeah. Um, I inherited it. I would never have bought this of my own volition. So um, it's nice to you know have a free car. So uh, it's dated. Things are you know going wrong. So we took it to the shop yesterday, and they're saying you know twenty five hundred dollars to fix the head gasket. Uh-uh. You know, I'm uh-uh. like the car is really not worth that. Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, after a year and a half of oppression, <laughs> might be able to finally get rid of the minivan. And this is what I want to know. Yes. Why do you feel, why do you hate the minivan so much? I feel like the function of a minivan, it's so functional. Yeah. It is symbolic <laughs> of middle-aged woman, okay. soccer mom. You are a so- you have children that play soccer. I do. You're literally a soccer you are mom. A so- I know. My husband plays soccer. I, I play a little bit, but you need to ease gracefully into this stage of your life. No, I'm I'm unwilling. Um so yes, it it is symbolic of the the oppression of you know, of of the the mom and the the woman and I hate it. Oh, and you want to tra- trace this all the way back to Eve. You I do. Saying, yeah. I do because I think that um right? I mean, Eve was the <laughs> The found like she was the the, the cause of Toyota of yeah yes <laughs> of curse being cursed as a woman, um for her her initial sin and then making her husband sin as well for those of you you know eating taking the fruit from the mm-hmm. the forbidden tree and and right as a result like God punished her right or cursed women as a result you can you elaborate on that well you know what I I'm think saying. that yeah I think that's how some people take that but i don't i don't think that's it's interesting that when he goes when he uh well first of all like how do you want to understand the the account of of genesis i think there's so much crazy wisdom in it but when god goes to confront them he confronts adam first and he he uh says that adam was right there with with her when she did this did nothing about it i don't think there is a specific curse like god was harder on eve than adam or anything like that although i do think man i'm gonna get we get emails on this i do think that <laughs> women have it harder in so many different ways i mean burying children and the minivan burying children and having and in, the, in uh, that the obligatory order. Yeah. In that order. <laughs> the obligatory uh a minivan they're also tougher but uh i like will steal the minivan from Emily because I like the features. I like being, I like that heated seat. That, that It's higher off the ground. Higher off you the ground. You can get cars That's that nice. don't have. That. It's easy to get the kids in and out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm rolling extra my eyes. luggage space i am rolling my eyes it's oh, like those commercials like how are you not you're becoming your parents yeah. you know i'm, I'm not doing that yeah. i'm not doing what's it. what's wrong I'm, with that they survived you know, oh, so every, we all become our parents. No. That's how generations keep. You no. can't completely reinvent the wheelies generation. Society would be a complete nightmare. It's your duty to become like your parents. But I do no. know now what annoys you. So that really is helpful. 
minivan (laughs) (laughs) feeling like an old lady yeah yeah that would annoy anybody being grateful that god gave you a free vehicle that served you so faithfully i i am and don't get me wrong about that i i i am but It, um, it doesn't you know it's time to go it's time to go and uh so then you know dave and i my husband dave were looking for you know discussing options and 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 a new minivan comes up and i said uh-huh. absolutely not uh-huh. that's great no way no and he's like well i i could drive it and i said that would See? be fine well except that he dri- he drives for work so oh, okay. the gas mileage is is right. not as good and you know just putting the miles on so you know logistically i i can't I can't justify him driving the minivan. But isn't that interesting? He embraces it for the functionality probably, right? Yes, but you, no, but yeah, but there's other options. That's so funny. So I might be rid of it once and for all. I love it. I love it. Well, because you are a soccer mom with the minivan, do you, you also want to talk a little bit, (laughs) a little bit about sports? (laughs) Nice segue. I gave him a look. Yeah, that's good. good. Uh, Sports. Yeah, I mean, I think, one of the things that we were talking about during the week was where that line is for parents and and how much they want to put their kids into sports. How much do you want to, uh, you know, be involved in sports? And we've been on both sides. Our kids go to the same school, and for whatever reason, uh, they've had times where they can't be in sports because of pandemic issues and all these different regulations, and that's been devastating. But also we've seen the other side where like people don't do anything. They're actually making these bigger decisions. And, and you mentioned, you know, some kids are some parents are holding their kids back a year in eighth grade so that they can be older when they when they go into uh, high school uh, for basketball. And, and this is a huge, uh, you know, and, and with the thought of them getting scholarships and many times they do. So I don't know. What do you want to say on both sides of those of that argument? Well, I think too, you know, you, we've got parents and this is, to, if this works for your family, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's, that's good. People, uh, families who are dedicating their, their mm-hmm. lives, their time and their, their energy and their money to having their kids be on these traveling teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're gone every weekend paying for hotel rooms and, um, practices and things like that. And, um, I, I feel, I feel that it's for our, at least for our family, it's, it's a lot, it yeah. would be excessive. And I think too, you kind of have to look at like your, your kids abilities. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Go ahead. Well, the thing I'm thinking about, uh, I had a friend, uh, my neighbor who was great at baseball. And so the whole family basically fed into his, him. He, he was, it was all him. And, um, and he got somewhere. I mean, he, he was drafted out of high school but it was a short stint. Um, he did play like one preseason major league game. But then, I don't know, 30 years old, he's done. And I just feel like that's really hard. So I, it's, a, it's a balance, right? And, and I don't know if I'm in, that, I'm in the parents' situation, if I would have done anything different. What I, what's interesting about how the Bible talks about idolatry is when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. So sports is a good thing. When does it become an ultimate thing where we have to kind of pull back? And I think the other thing that's really challenging is not only uh, once you kind of start down this road, the coaches expect you to keep going down this road. Uh, Then once you sign up for this team, it's expected you're going to do everything. And then it just keeps on raising the bar and to the point where you 
there's no there's no return. The point of no return. So I've seen it on both sides, and I love having our kids in sports. Maybe because our kids are probably never going to be on any kind of elite teams that I maybe look at this a little bit different, but yeah, I do wonder how far can we go? When is it too much? I, I know of a family or I know somebody who said that there's a kid on their hockey team that the parents lived in like California or something. And they had the kid stay in his own like apartment in high school so he could play hockey in Chicago. And he wasn't even that good. And like, <laughs> so you like, you, you lose so much time. You lose so much of your, your high school years, your grade school years devoted to this one sport. Uh, and you're kind of playing that roulette. Like, is this going to pay off? So, well, and worse off, worse yet, like what happens if you get a career ending injury? Yeah. You know, I told you about our, our 12 year old neighbor who tore his ACL. Wow. You know, he's 12. Like, yeah. and I'm, 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 I think he'll be able to recover from it. But like what happens when you've put your, you're everything into this yeah. sport or whatever. And then, you know, I think about that too, like with, with singing, like what would happen if my voice stopped, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then it's like, who am I? What do I do? You know? And so, yeah, I just, it's a hard subject to, to try to figure out. I think the other thing that's really challenging is, is this, when is it no longer good for our kids? When is it's a good thing? Because I feel like if you don't have any sports, you're man, you're missing out on camaraderie, learning yes. like challenges and 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 competing, and training and discipline. When does it go too far? Um, and the other thing I think about is there's got to be a point of, of 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 diminishing returns. Like this person is just an athlete, and they're going to be an athlete no matter what. And all the extra camps and all the extra mm-hmm. things are mm-hmm. not necessarily going to take them that much to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people, no matter what you do, you could be year-round training. They're never going to get there. And that, that you know, do you have to have somebody tell you this, speak into it? I mean, I think, I know I know people who, it's very obvious, um, they are living through their kids. And mm. I, I could see how easy that would be, too, where you... Uh, you find your identity in how well your kid performs and you put all this crazy pressure on them to perform. So I don't know. It's a really challenging subject. Matt, you not having children and you being the athlete that you are, what do you, what do you you kind of think about this? I I don't, I mean, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a lose, lose. I think if you have a kid and you think your kid is a prodigy at anything, if it's sports or if it's like piano playing or something, and so you just start sending them to camps and you try to get them accepted to good schools. To me, it's it's almost worse if it works. Mm, why is that? Maybe they are good. Because look at any child actor. Look mm. at any child singer star. They don't, they don't turn out well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's way too much pressure to put on like a 15-year-old or something like that. They have mm, no idea what to do. Um, I don't know. There's a bunch of like young female pop stars especially that it's like they get popular at like 17 Mm -hmm. and then it's just like that person's brain is completely screwed up like they 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 may start making millions of dollars they can do whatever they want you know and um so for me it's like do you do you push your kid to do well yeah but 
it's 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 bad if it works you know make maybe you maybe you do have a good talented kid and you really push them and they and they work hard for it why are they working hard for it in the first place you know you've put a ton of pressure on them um and are they doing it because they they want to succeed or because they think that you want them to succeed you know what's what's the real reason I want to read this book. It's it's on my list. Uh, Andre Agassi's memoir. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of this. Open, where he was the best tennis player in the world, and he hated it. His dad saw the talent he had and just pushed him crazy, and he hated it. He hated. It, didn't want to touch it. Um, loathed it. Um, and then the story goes where he. I think I don't know if it was an injury or what it was that he just he burnt out. He stopped. And then he came back again, kind of almost like a second career, and and made it about teaching kids about raise, you know, uh, donating to charity. Made it about something bigger than just winning, and stop it from being his core identity. And I think that's if you can help somebody say this is good, this is a gift um, that you have that you steward. But if you make it your core identity, that this makes me who I am, maybe that's when it gets. It really mm. destroys you. I don't know. I I need to read the book. Well, and I think too, it kind of depends on the on the kid. Um, you know, some kids might grow to resent mm-hmm. um, resent you for pushing them. Yeah. Um, you know, I worry about that. Like with with Logan playing, you know, drums in church. It's like you know, I mean, he could do it more, but is he gonna, be, mm-hmm. you know, hate me in the long run for you know forcing him to do it? Or uh, Logan's my son, by the way. Um, does he like it? He does, yeah. But it, you know, I mean, it takes preparation yep. and and whatnot. And uh, he's twelve. Yeah. He also but, plays soccer, by the way. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yes, minivan. Um, but on the other hand, might you have a child who says, "Why didn't you push me more?" Sure. You know, so it's like they might resent you either way. You didn't push me enough, or you pushed me too much. Lose, so, lose, like lose, lose. A, yeah. I mean, you, you don't downers. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> life is hard. To it. Maybe that's what it, like, and and maybe that's when a gift is a gift. When somebody it, it comes naturally, they enjoy. It. I, I I do think about this. This friend of mine who played baseball. What was so remarkable about him is like he never got flustered, which showed that it was a true gift. Like he, it, there could be twenty scouts in the stands, and he'd pitch as well when he was doing that, uh, than when he was just playing in the backyard and and so it never came hard to him so I, I think that might be a sign too if they if they really enjoy it maybe just you gotta keep checking your motives and and you gotta check is this in the place of god is this my new idol is this where i find all my source of identity and if it was gone tomorrow would i still be okay with myself i don't know yeah i guess it's a it's you have to you have to constantly have something that keeps you grounded right because I don't know. Again, I, I mean, people can be really good at something, but I think if you're, I mean, maybe if you're even under like 25 or 30 years old, I'd really think that like, that's too young to, to come into so much success. You're not going to know what to do with it. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? It's an old movie, Chariots of Fire. It's that, it's, it's old. Matt, you haven't seen it? Have you no. seen it? No. Okay. <laughs> I think I've heard of <laughs> Matt's it. Matt's a movie guy. <laughs> All right. So th- it was like a classic. I don't know when, when it, 1960s, 70s, but um, there, it's about these, th- these runners going to the Olympics and one's a Christian and he says, you know, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Like God made me fast. And, and that's how he looked at it as a gift. And another guy, he said, you know, 
he was a sprinter. He says, I have 60 seconds to justify my existence. <laughs> and, and, and so that, you know, those two different ways to look at, at, at your gifts, I think are huge on, on how it, and I, you know, talking about how you said lose, lose, if somebody like it becomes a prodigy and, and all that, I think when it becomes a loss is when, yeah, when it's all about you, when it's mm-hmm. justifying your existence, where you're trying to become, you know, just somebody that everybody's following and idolizing and emulating, like nobody can live up under that pressure. Right. So I was going to bring up Rev, Rev Biebs. Let's hear it. Did we, oh, I don't remember yeah. if we brought this up before about where uh, he says, you know, um, if you're feeling unfulfilled, mm. use your gift to serve other people yes. because your gift, your gift is tied to your purpose. And so nice. I think, you know, that's, yeah, like not making it about you. We should have a Beeb quote every podcast. Yeah, the Reverend Beeb. <laughs> can, can we just make his picture like our podcast logo? I think so. We'd get more clicks. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I that's so good. I I was thinking about the same. You know, the strength finder. They would always say a strength is only a strength when it's used for others. Right. That that's a huge thing. And so maybe that's what it is when it comes to these team sports or sports in general. Like, how are you using this for others? And if it's only about you, it's gonna crush you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just had this question. So I know there's a verse. Um, I think Proverbs says like, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children." Mm. Yeah, Ephesians six. Oh, okay. I lied. <laughs> Way that's off. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> how embarrassing, <laughs> but there's a lot of proverbs that talk about, you yes. know, about parenting. That's, that's yeah. probably what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, what, what other, what other Bible passages that you can think of either of you about parenting? Well, I think that's, you know, in this area, Ephesians six, it, uh, I think it's six verse one where it says, you know, fathers not exasperate your children, but train them up in the instruction of the Lord. So it gives the other side that you want to show them where th- their identity um, yeah, the whole book, the whole first nine chapters of Proverbs is basically a father speaking to his son. Uh, and many people think it's Solomon just kind of saying, don't do what I did. And so much of it, the instruction in those first uh, nine chapters kind of are around how do you use your money, chapter six, uh, who do you hang out with? And and then talking to a boy like, what what is your sexual life going to look like? And those are kind of the three things, um, you know, that that the father is trying to pass on to the child. Um, also, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on on your own understanding. That's a father talking to a, a son. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Um, then, then Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter six, talks about um, you know these things that I've told you. These commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, pass them on to your children. Talk about them when you're lying down, when you get up, when you walk along the road. So I'm thinking more and more parenting and I, is about what your kids do with you than what you tell them. Uh, and, and I just wish I would have done more with my kids because I th- think they pick up way more on who you are and what you take them, what, what you do with them than, than what you tell them. So we can tell them all sorts of stuff, but they can call our hypocrisy pretty quick. I don't know, which they have a lot, my son at least. I don't know. Does that help? What do you think? Is that kind of where you're going yeah. with that? Well, I'm just, I have this like theory that like the Bible has to be the perfect book. So like if you ever have a problem, it's in there. So I'm just thinking, okay, parents, if yeah. you're dealing with this. But then I just, I was thinking, huh, we don't usually talk about the Bible as like a how-to parents guide. It's usually mostly about 
your personal relationship with your faith. Yeah. So I was just curious. Yeah, I I do think it can get a little dangerous when you do use the Bible as a how-to manual because the Bible's always a story. It's always connected with a context. And even the book of Proverbs, that has these kind of pithy quotes. And they're Proverbs, not necessarily promises that you're supposed to kind of contemplate. So one of them says, you know, um, answer a fool— or don't answer a fool, or 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 you'll look just as foolish, or you you know you'll give into his folly. And then the next verse it says, "And answer a fool, or 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 uh, so, or you're gonna be wiser still." And they put these the same kind of thing right next to each other. So one verse says, "Don't answer a fool," and the other one says, "Do answer a fool." And the whole book of Proverbs is not necessarily a book of promises that we're supposed to like hold on to, like, oh, that's a promise, but more like a thing you contemplate and you kind of think about, like, oh, maybe in one situation I do want to answer this person and one, another one. Or like the proverb that says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's older he won't turn from it. It's like that's how it m- lots of times works. That's a proverb, an idea that a lot of times works, but we all know great parents who have children that do turn away from it, so it's not necessarily a book of promises. So that's as close to a how-to book it gets as the book of Proverbs, but even the book of Proverbs is couched in a story that you're supposed to understand, you know, Solomon speaking to his son, and Solomon is thinking about all the ways that he screwed this up and and hoping that his his son, which actually he does, Rehoboam, screws it all up also, doesn't follow those. So I think we have to not necessarily go to the Bible as a, as a place to find, you know, quick tips on how to construct my house or how to do my finances, although you know, it might give you some ideas sometimes or even how to parent or do marriage. It's more a story of how God is patient with his creation even though we keep screwing it up. And then he rescues us through Jesus and gives us a new way of living. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, I don't know, that's a little tangent, but I think it's a good question on what is the Bible for and how are we supposed to use it? Yeah, okay. Thank you. That's good. All right. Well, we were talking about gifts, like sports gifts, if you're a gifted person with music on it. And that kind of leads to our next topic on the Holy Spirit. Um, I wrote a, an article back in, I don't know, 2018, uh, and I put it up on a couple different places. Medium, I had a pot, uh, blog back then that I was writing on quite a bit. And I said, why are Lutherans scared of the Holy Spirit or or, or don't afraid of the Holy Spirit? And it in my small world, it went kind of viral compared to the other posts, and I still get phone calls on this thing I wrote in 2018. I got a call the other day where a pastor, retired pastor, says, he's a Lutheran pastor, Missouri Synod pastor, says, you're right, um, I'm actually going to share this one. Uh, Lutherans really don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're not uh, invoking the Holy Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit. And I just, I don't know, wanted to get your perspective on that. Uh, has that been your experience when we talk about in, in our churches or our, your Christian experience, how much have you heard or thought about the work of the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life? First of all, you put a lot of work into these things, and like, look at that sheet. I wrote one sentence. <laughs> I wrote nothing. And he wrote nothing, and then you've got a whole paragraph, and you have a Bible reference, and, and you wrote an article. An article you and wrote I read about it, it, and it's a good article. We should put a link to that in That's, the yeah, we can yeah. in our, our description. But just you know, you just gotta you gotta know who you're talking with here. <laughs> We're slackers. That's okay. No, I guess the the reason I just just a, a yes or no answer, like you know, you grew up in a in a in a 
pastor's home, right? Uh, uh, um, your experience of Lutheranism, I guess the, what I'm kind of getting at is here, sometimes our expression of the Christian faith it, uh, is not so much like we'd like to say it all comes out of the Bible, but so much of it comes from our tradition. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good things about the Lutheran tradition, mm-hmm. but I guess the point I made in that article was Luther, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, had a bad experience with people who are very invoking the Holy Spirit. They were called the Zwickau prophets. They said, we actually don't need the Bible anymore because we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit talks to us directly. And so he had this experience that these Zwickau prophets, uh, were. he also would call them schwermerai, that they were all about enthusiasts. They're this on their own enthusiasm uh, all, all caught up in themselves, uh, didn't need the Bible anymore because they were filled with Holy Spirit. And because Luther had that bad experience for the last 500 years, Lutherans, whether you know it or not, we all kind of get a little bit like, ah, if somebody's talking about the Holy Spirit or if they're filled with Holy Spirit or invoking the Holy Spirit, like, oh, that person's a little bit off. Uh, that's not my kind of Christianity. They must be doing something wrong. Um and so I think it's just important to think about our biases and maybe where did we where did we get some of this cultural background and and maybe we didn't even realize it in our traditions. And then I guess what I just want to talk about maybe a proper way to look at the Holy Spirit and and that First Corinthians twelve was on gifts um, that we look at our gifts whether that's the gift of leading even athletics that and then how we carry these out our gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way to serve in the greater kingdom when we use them uh, to love other people. So there's a lot there. Anything that you guys interest you guys at all, or is it just me that's interested in this or what do you guys think? Well, I think, I mean, I I feel like I can, my experience, you know, doing music here, um, you know, I feel like, and I've seen this in a lot of maybe Lutheran as opposed to maybe like a non-denominational or, Mm -hmm. um, just you know like when we're when we're worshiping and and singing in church you know there's not much movement Do, right. how help yeah. me articulate this you know what i'm saying like yeah not too expressive not right? too expressive right and i wonder if that's kind of a suppression I, you know i wonder if people are suppressing it or cuz i i do think that that is maybe holy spirit e right right like yeah to be expressing a little bit um but I, 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 for me, there's a level of comfort where it could, it could go over and, sure. you know, and, and be a, maybe a little bit too expressive. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. That's just my own personal comfort level. Um, That's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. I, and, you know, it's not necessarily from the Bible because the Bible talks about in the book of Psalms, you know, worship God with lift uplifted hands and things like that. And you think about the day of Pentecost where, you know, they're, they're speaking all the, these other tongues. There's, it's very expressive on that, uh, on that day of Pentecost. Um, but I think because of Luther's experience and some of that, that cultural background, we are a little bit leery or apprehensive and, and it just shows like how deep these cultural roots go. Cause if somebody doesn't have that background and yeah, non-denominational or maybe coming more out of a Pentecostal tradition, um, you're, it, it's actually the other way. Like if you, if you're not expressive, you're doing something wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 
I don't know how you break out of this. I don't know if you have to. Like I, I, some of these things aren't necessarily right or wrong. It's kind of what Pastor Bill talked about last week, adiaphra, which is just a word that means neither commanded nor forbid in the Bible. Like you don't have to. I, I don't I don't know if you if you're waving hands or more emotional in worship, that means you're more full with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are, are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So that's real evidence of the Holy Spirit, not, not necessarily how expressive you are in, the, in worship. And yet, I think that is a... I don't, so would you like to see more expressive, ex, more people responding? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's make it a party, a worship party. Yes. Yeah. Because that helps us, you know, when we're leading these songs it help it helps us too you know clapping like right. you know you know with the song or preferably on beats two and four you know on one and three <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> that's never happened um <clears throat> yeah <laughs> but yes i mean i yeah i would like to see more of that so what do you think when is it a genuine expression of the holy spirit and when when is it forced do you think can you tell the difference between that? If, if, if you're leading worship and you feel like this is God at work and this is the Holy Spirit leading us to, to, to worship, or when is it forced? I don't know okay. exactly. I, I wonder if it has to do with when do we lose ourselves in the, in, in the expression of worshiping God and when is it? I hope people see me as spiritual or not too spiritual or too self-focused. Right. Yeah. We, we almost yeah. lose. You, you almost, you know, Paul talks about that in Galatians. He says, you know, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, this idea that he doesn't even think about himself. And I, I think that's a real expression of the Holy Spirit. We stop being so self, stop evaluating ourselves. Mm. I think we don't talk enough about where does the Holy Spirit stop and just, people's emotions start that's really good because mm. as like as lutherans we don't we don't do the whole show emotion thing yeah and so <laughs> it's like you know so it's we we're not i don't i don't i don't even know what the difference is you know yeah. if you say it that way like because we're like we're kind of moving more and singing louder and mm -hmm. and that's god or that's just me moving more and singing louder you know that's really good. Yeah, I what that's a really good, good way to ask the question. You know, when do our emotions start and when does the Holy Spirit start? C.S. Lewis talked about when you become a Christian and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, um, it's not that you become less you and more God. Like it, it's it, it's not like a a container where if there's more God in this container, then there's less me. It's more of I'm becoming who I'm really supposed to be. It's like all the, all the cylinders are fighting. I'm, 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 and I really like the way the Bible project brings out this idea that the word for the Holy spirit in, in Hebrew is Ruach, which means breath or wind. And it's supposed to be kind of this metaphor that just like if you hold your breath for a long time, everything gets constricted and you, you you know you can't live like that but when you take a breath in it's this animating energy and that's kind of the idea behind um, the whole, the work of the holy spirit it it makes you into the person you were always supposed to be and taking in lots of deep breaths doesn't make you less of who you are it it, it brings you 
to, to, to real life. So I think when we, when we have those fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, when we're not self-evaluating all the time or self, you know, just totally neurotic and, and all about our, our own self, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's a, like a demon possession where you like get, po- get possessed by the mm-hmm. demon. You don't have control of yourself or whatever, mm-hmm. right? That you don't have control over what's going on. Um, but he is leading you into the person you can really be. So maybe, maybe, um, like what I think, um, I like what you said there about the Holy Spirit is, is changing, is something that's the, is a catalyst. It's changing you. It's changing your thoughts, your actions and your emotions. Yeah. And so you can't really equate the two, but maybe the, the more you, quote unquote live by the Holy Spirit, the more it's going to affect the rest of your life. And I think that's where the power is because no matter who you are or what you've gone to, um, you can always move closer to God. Yep. You can always move in that direction. And that's what the Spirit is moving you to do. That's really good. That's really good. It is hard though. I mean the Holy Spirit if you I think it has been called the most hidden or humble, I don't know, most hidden of the three persons of the Trinity because he's never putting the spotlight back on himself. The Holy Spirit's job is to always keep the spotlight on Jesus. And and that's kind of what happens when, I think, again, when the Holy Spirit is living in you, the spotlight goes on Jesus and the spotlight's not on you. Um. We know what it's like when somebody's expressive or whatever and they're always talking about themselves and they're always about themselves and they're telling you how spiritual they are and how, how much they love Jesus and how... I won't name names. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> because me, I'm in the I room know. and I don't appreciate Matt. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go again, Matt. <laughs> but I think that's the hard thing. You might have a very emotionally healthy person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. I don't think that exists, by the way. Okay. That- Have you ever met someone who's emotionally healthy? Oh, okay. <laughs> Me, I'm raising no. my hand. No. Yes. Yeah, you're also a bully. <laughs> I'm not a bully, am no, I? No. Spoken like a there, bully. There is. You didn't have any anything for us to talk about this week. Usually, we have like, what did Annie? Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't yeah. go on a tirade. I went on a tirade about the minivan. Come okay. on. Every week, you have something mean to say. No. And when you said, "I'm not a bully," your voice went up, kind of like, "What me? No, <laughs> I'm not." It's a defensive tactic. When have I bullied you? Stop. <laughs> That's so many times. Was that not just bullying? You were, I just said, no, I, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but at least I'm admitting it. You, you took a picture of my desk and you were going to post it on social media because you thought it was messy. Also, you can toughen up a little bit, Matt. That's true. Right? Oh, Dang. that doesn't That's hurt. That's spoken like a true bully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Rude. Did I... When did I do that? You did that like a couple days ago. You told me. You yeah, were like, yeah, right. I was going to take a picture of your desk to post on social media just to show how messy you are. I forgot are. I told you that. I wasn't even in the room when you were going to do that. Not filled with the Holy Spirit. Not at all. <laughs> no, that is um, none of... None of the fruits. None of the fruits. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Darn. <laughs> I'm looking at the poster in, in Ben's office here with listing the all the poster. fruits. Yeah. 
I, I it is so you don't think there's such a thing as a a healthy emotionally healthy person. I mean, I think I think people learn to like manage it and okay. and or manage parts of it and hide the rest of it. Yeah. But I mean, I mean seriously, like think of it. The more you get to know someone, the more you're just like, man, you're a nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is a, it's a challenge. I I think that's just evidence of of uh our sinful nature, right? That it, there's going to be a, ba- but I, I, it, it is an emotional battle. Our spiritual life is an emotional battle. Mm-hmm. And I think our, ho- the Holy Spirit is involved in our emotions. Yeah. And I think that's why you need the Holy Spirit. I think there, he's moving you toward health. That's your only option at a certain point. How would you define an emotionally healthy person? Like what is I, the most I, yeah. ideal it could be? Who knows, what do you think, man. Annie? Like, if you could describe someone who's emotionally healthy, what would you say that person is like? I don't know. I guess because <laughs> you have never seen one. Maybe. <laughs> I think. I think some. I these are very vague again because I'm just. Like, I think we can point in a direction of health, but I don't think you can ever get there. Well, but okay. I also think you know, even even if you were to take somebody who was you know the pinnacle of these of these gifts here, and I mean, I don't know. Are, are we not designed to be passionate about things and, mm-hmm. and, and get fired up about things? Like I, you know, I, I mean, there, there's kind of a, a balance too, where like, I think if you're the pinnacle of all these things, I mean, are you not fired up about things? And yeah, well, I think what probably the most, the most emotionally healthy person you could think of is Jesus, right? Obviously you could maybe just throw that out and he was fired up about some things, right? He mm-hmm. turned, he, he, uh, he went to the, temple and turned over the 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 tables there and 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 you know rebuke the pharisees and the religious leaders so i think i don't think we should look at these as passive you know love is an action and sometimes love means you're going to say hard things and do hard things and say no to bad people and that kind of thing and joy um you know that's that can be a passionate thing right and peace is is creating putting things back the way they're supposed to be Patience, that would be a long-suffering, somebody who's able to endure difficult things and hold on. Uh, yeah, maybe kindness, I don't know, is maybe more, I don't know, if passive, I don't think so, but goodness. Faithless, like holding to the, your values, like I ho- I, this, I'm so passionate about this. So I think faithfulness is you're holding on to something. Gentleness kind of balances that. Self-control, that's like you're... you're so I, I don't know, I mean, maybe we get kind of a passive view of this where we really shouldn't of what what emilia means to be filled with the holy spirit i didn't i wasn't trying to prompt that question but i do think maybe jesus just look at jesus he's the most emotionally healthy person and and he went through ups and downs and hard things and maybe it is back to thing thinking about yourself less if you just think about yourself less and and more about god and more about how you can help others that's probably because isn't all emotional distress when it's look at what I'm suffering, look at how things are really bad right now for me, or I, I'm worried about what I have to do coming up. It, it, it It's when we turn in on ourselves, which I always do. So it's I, I know what that feels like. Hmm. But I think there's kind of a balance because I think you kind of need to be aware of yourself yes. and, yes. and maybe your struggles, and you do have to turn inward a little at least. To, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's a balance to me is there maybe self-awareness versus 
self-obsession maybe you know somebody who's and self-analytical but self-awareness like that that almost you can look at it from from like a a a high place in the room like look down like oh that was that really hurt that person I, i gotta stop doing that um i don't know if that's a different way to look at it yeah that makes sense that does, I think, kind of lead to, Matt, you wanted to talk about prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to talk about? So, uh, um, I, I don't know, I've said this a couple of times. Um, I've talked to Bill about this, too. Um, but if you, if you knew, like if you were convinced that prayer worked, uh-huh. how much more would you do it? Hmm. Um. Are you well, not convinced that prayer works? <laughs> no, but I'm thinking about it. And I think the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And that doesn't like promise any specific outcome, but it, it implies there's a consequence to prayer. Mm-hmm. And, but sometimes at the same time as Christians, we say things like, God answers your prayer, but sometimes he says no or later or yes. And it's like, well, that's a very nice answer because it kind of, uh, it catches all of it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I prayed for this and he's like, oh, he, he for sure answered. That was a powerful prayer. He just mm-hmm. answered no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well now what if I don't believe that prayer works? Yeah. What if I don't believe that God exists? Right. And your whole relationship revolves around reading what you think he's saying to you yeah. and then you talking to him through prayer, yeah. which doesn't seem to do anything. Right. Because no matter what, you always say he answers it, but it doesn't look any different than if you didn't pray. Sure. Well, I, just real quick, I think that's kind of similar to like like manifesting, right? That's a kind of a popular idea now where we, if you know, if we only say things out or put it out into the universe enough, um, you know, there's nobody really like, res- there's nobody quote unquote to respond mm-hmm. or say no. It's just like you're throwing it out there or you're meditating on, mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, moving to California, man, I really wish I could get a job in California. And if I just say it enough and say it out loud enough and manifest this idea that I'm going mm-hmm. it'll, it'll happen. And so there's like, is no, that what that means? I think so. Right. Yeah, that is whack. Well, but it, but in essence, in essence, it is it is praying. It is asking huh. for things. It's just that there's nobody really on the other side. There's no entity mm-hmm. on the other side to say no or later or whatever. So that's yeah. I had a professor who said this. And I thought it was interesting. Just a little different take on those three answers. He said, "God always answers your prayers. Yes, or I'll give you something better." Mm-hmm. which might again sound like a cop-out you know if somebody says okay when is that going to happen um it is a struggle i mean it really is and what i love about the bible is it doesn't shy away from that i mean the first i just read psalm 13 today and it was why lord how long I mean, it opens up how long how long do we have to do i do my oppressors need to oppress me how long do i have to wait in this and then it ends i should were you thinking about COVID? How long, <laughs> Lord? How long? Yeah. Don't get me. I know. All right. So I think the book of Psalms will teach the person, if they have ears to hear and they're open to it, you know, it says this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So just raw honesty that this, Mm -hmm. you're not answering. But then the last two verses. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And I think what what ha- the, the power in prayer, I think sometimes is not necessarily just the answer, but recognizing that you you can endure things not on your own strength. Think about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, "If it is your will, take this cup from me. If not, let your will be done." And I think it was that prayer that you know allowed him to endure what he was going to endure the next 24 hours. So some of the prayer is not uh, give me something, but allow me to endure. And just think if God the Father would have answered that prayer, taken away the suffering, um, he wouldn't have paid for all of our sins and rescued us. Uh, and yet, in a way, he 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 did answer with with the resurrection. Um, gave something better. So I think that can be a helpful thing. And also when I think about the Psalms, um, so many of these kind of laments and this confusion are in the first half of, there's five books in the Psalms, kind of like the Torah. And and I'm getting this again from the theologian from the Bible Project, Tim Mackey. They go from laments to praise, that the last, whatever, 10, um, 10 psalms are prayers of praise. God, I can't believe, I, I praise you, you're so good. And that's kind of the journey, I think, of a Christian is like, there's so much confusion, so much trial, so much unanswered prayers, but over time, your laments turn to praise. Okay, so how do you, <laughs> what do you do um, if you if you were telling somebody about prayer? I mean, do you because if if prayer is a big part of your life, and I think it should be, I mean, right. what what do you do if someone doesn't really believe in the power of prayer? They ask you, why do you do that? And then, you know, it's sort of like um, when Job's friends come, or you know what, or and Job's wife says, you know, why are you curse God and die? Like it's obvious he's not listening, or it's obvious that what you're doing is pretty useless right now. Right. So what what do you say to somebody who would say something like that? Because you're you mean you're trying to convince them prayer is a good thing, right? In theory, yeah. Um, I think that's part of the the walk of faith, and it's really hard. Like if you watch a movie, and and somebody gives up on something right away, you recognize that's not the hero of the movie. Heroes don't give up right away. And to say this is part of the walk of faith is that you endure hard things, um, trusting in God, waiting. I mean, part of that is 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 we wait. And and so many just reading scripture, so many for whatever reason, God finds value in in allowing us to wait. I mean, Genesis twelve is the story of Abraham, starts with the story of Abraham, and, and they've been praying their whole life into their 90s for a child, and God promised them, and they didn't have that child even into, into, into their hundreds. I don't, I don't know why that's how God works so often. Um, maybe, just think of if it was the other way around, it would be, became a magic trick vending machine kind of situation where prayer, bam, 
prayer, bam. And it, and I think the the wrestling, one of the most, I think one of the greatest stories in the Bible, one of my favorites is Jacob getting his name Israel, where he wrestles with God throughout the night. And there's something about wrestling with God and waiting that turns our hearts, it changes us. And, and so I, I don't think it'd be a quick conversation. I don't think there would be a mathematical equation to tell somebody why pray. I can only talk about my experience. I really actually, and you've really been, you probably don't know this, but like inspirational on some of the things you pray about and you say, I prayed about this and this is the answer I got. And this is where, how I think about this. And I just, I think you are a person of prayer. I don't know if you want to talk about any of those things because you have told me quite a few times about it. You don't remember I, this? No, no. Give me examples. Well, <laughs> maybe I just. I think um, she's just so filled. It's just the like Holy it's Spirit. like yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, aren't no, I? I think even small decisions. You're like, I prayed about. I mean, even like your dog. You said we wanted oh, a dog. Yeah. We prayed about it. You know, yeah. I, I this car or th- this decision or, or yeah. just these little decisions. That I prayed about it and I just went with it and and we and and it was just part of your process. It seems like whether you think about it you've told me that maybe yeah. you're lying to me no no, lying no 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 i remember yeah okay like, well and, and we will pray about what car to get yeah. you know just like you know something you know you know lord let us get the right one you right. know um because you know a lot of times you can't foresee any you know issues in the future and things like that um and yeah sometimes i will be moved to do something based on you know like we've got to act like I feel like I'll, I'll be pushed to want and motivated to act mm-hmm. in a certain way or do a certain thing and particularly motivated mm-hmm. for some reason. And I don't necessarily know why, you know, other than maybe I've prayed about it, but, um, I am, I'm a bad prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, if I try to do it like, you know, while I'm laying in bed, I'll fall asleep. Yeah. Um, my mind wanders that's um, a gift right there. Yeah. If you can get yourself to fall asleep. Oh, yeah, that's easy for me. Yeah, but That's that's your answered prayer right there. Yeah, sleep. No, but I, so I, I would better. say I'm not I'm not good at praying per se. Well, I think that there's no such thing, right? That I think maybe Jesus talks about you know, God knows what you want before you ask it. So you don't need to be long-winded. He has a whole big section in the Sermon on the Mount on don't keep on babbling like the pagans. God knows what you want before he, you ask. So just let, you know, m- make your prayers short and sweet. And 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 it doesn't mean you don't keep on praying or you don't wrestle in prayer, it, whatever that means, but it's a, it's a conversation. And uh, if you think about a relationship, if you ha- thought you had to say something like really impressive to any of us, that wouldn't really be a friendship here. Right. Or if I had to say just the right words to get you to f- really listen or really, that wouldn't be the relationship. But if, if it really is, Jesus told us to pray our father and we should go to him like a, a child, like Luther says, go to a child, like a dear child, ask their dear father for something. Um, there is a kind of just speak what's on your heart. Mm-hmm. And I think the Psalms, again, they give us liberty to say, God, where are you? Mm-hmm. Or even Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting mm-hmm. Psalm 22. Do you think prayer then is more for the prayer than to God? It's it's more about you putting your trust in God and it's not so much about like, you know, a complaints box, <laughs> request <Right>. forms. <laughs> 
Philip Yancey had that book, uh, Prayer, What Is It Good For? or something like that. And he really kind of lands on that also. That He, he, he talks about it's, it is mo- more than you think, at least, about what, what happens to you through the process. Because if you pray for something and it is a clear no, and you do believe God will give you something better, that wrestling, like, what is that teaching me? You know, if, if, if your kid asks you, like, can I drink Pepsi and stay up all night on a school night? And you say no. All right, what is that trying to, what, hopefully the kid is supposed to, like, what is this trying to teach me? Is there something, is there a reason why they say no in this situation? And I think that's um, what happens to us when God says a clear no. All right, what, then what are you trying to do? If, if, if you said no to this, then what am I supposed to learn from this? And what am I supposed to do with this? And how do I use this to be transformed myself or to transform others? So, yeah, I do think it it is something about what happens to us through the process. It's a discipleship process. So in what ways is the prayer of a righteous man powerful and effective then? I think that's from James, and he's talking there. Um, it's he's talking about healing in that situation, uh, and and I th- um, and he, he uses Elijah as the example um, that Elijah was a person just like us, and he prayed that it would stop raining, and it did. And a, a prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Um, I think stuff does happen, right? Um, Stuff does happen when we pray. God does act. Somehow he he humbles himself, if you'd say, or 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 some, sometimes the Bible talks about God relenting or changing his mind based on our prayers. Um, which is just a crazy idea to think about that God would take our ideas into consideration. So I think that's the idea. It is effective. Could I just say, I wonder if the optimal word there, and maybe I, I might be wrong, but would be righteous in that, like hmm. somebody who is already a believer mm-hmm. who who can say these prayers, ask, you know, pray to God and and look and, and have the, the ability to say, okay, what is God trying to teach me by saying no or whatever? So I think maybe the optimal, and I again, I don't know because I don't know the context, but righteous might be the, the key word there. Do you want me to just read the context of it? All right, so it's James chapter 5. Not, there's no James. Did I say 6? There's no 6 chapters in James. So oh. if I said that, I was, mm. okay, anyways. Fail. Fail. Um, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's a lot in there. It sounds like a lot of promises being made that aren't always kept. Right. Well, um, so I would put James, and he's pretty clear on this. James is... He's Jesus' half-brother, speaks a lot like Jesus, where he speaks um, it, almost everything in the letter that James wrote here. You can also find the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Proverbs. It's basically the book of Proverbs and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount smashed together. 
And that's what the book of James is. And so I think James speaks very strongly to get, to just provoke us. It's a very, prov- prov- is provocative the right word? Where it just provokes us to action. And he, he wants us to, to, to respond. Um, and he says things that are so, like it's in James where he says, you know, faith without works is dead, which just seems like a clear contradiction to what Paul says in Romans. And I think he says just the same thing like I was just reading today where Jesus says, um, unless you hate your father and mother, you're not, you cannot follow me. Or saying some things to get us to respond, uh, not necessarily promises, but pro- kind of that proverb kind of way, like try it out, see what happens. I want to I wanna challenge you. So there are challenges, I think. But Jesus didn't heal everybody. And some people still got sick, and Lazarus, even after he was raised from the dead, still died. So I, I do think we kind of there are people who've gone too far with this, where they refuse medical attention, and they'll say, "I anointed that person with oil, and I prayed, and God said they're going to be healed, and what? And and so I'm not going to use the doctor." That's a whole other topic we could get into, like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I do think understand the context of the of the letter. That, and that kind of goes back to what we said earlier, to, to not look at the Bible as a how-to book. Or if I would just take that verse out of its context of the, how the way James is writing, I could totally undermine so much of it if I think it's, oh, I, I, I like almost treat it like a uh, fortune cookie, like, you know, this little phrase, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to make sure it happens. Um, there are promises in the Bible that we should hold to. Uh, but it's a story. James is writing a letter to a, an, a Jewish audience who didn't understand how Jesus fit into this story. And, and, and James is kind of provoking them to action. Let's understand in the original context first and then see if we can apply it later. That makes sense? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that answer at all what, <laughs> what your question was? I don't know what my question was. I think your question about about does prayer work? I mean, is is prayer really powerful? Mm-hmm. And I I think the answer is yes, but it's complicated. And that's why you read the whole Bible and the Bible itself gives us the words to doubt. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to go through the struggle cuz that's why the book of Proverbs and our book of Psalms and the book of Job is there is to legitimize our doubts when we pray and there's no answer. So this is my closing rhetorical question again. Yeah. If you knew that prayer worked, how much more would you do it? I think we all, I mean, I need to pray more. Mm-hmm. Same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably if you've had a barometer on spiritual health is, is tied to how much you pray, right? Kind of tie it all together. Um, Jesus talks about good gifts from God and prayer. All right. So this is Luke chapter 11. He, uh, he was told to pray in the Holy, or his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. And then he teaches them the, the Lord's prayer. And then he says, uh, suppose you have a friend 
and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened you. For everyone who asks receives, one who seeks finds, and one who knocks, the door will be opened. So you just read that and you're like, all right, so I'm supposed to have like shameless audacity, knocking on God's door like somebody knocking on somebody's door in the middle of the night. But then keep reading. Which of you, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Which are weird examples. <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, which is kind of a little slight, Jesus gives us a little, you know, quick little comment. Oh, just remember, you're evil. <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you read the whole thing, mm-hmm. what are we really supposed to be praying for more than anything? The Holy Spirit. And he mm-hmm. said, he promises that when we pray for the Holy Spirit, we will get it. And so I think the Holy Spirit also gives us wisdom to know when to just stop praying and recognize that God is yeah telling he's going to give us something better. So yeah, I, I, I do think Jesus is encouraging us to ask, to seek, to knock, to do more prayer. And at the top of those prayers is praying for the Holy Spirit. So yeah, I, I, if I actually believed it more, I would do it more. But I think Jesus telling these parables acknowledges that um, we don't do it enough. One final thing. I like the Lord's Prayer as kind of an agenda. If you don't know what to pray about, I, I like using the Lord's Prayer like, okay, Father, I know you're in heaven. Be my Father. Um, holy is your name. Everything you do is holy. Your kingdom come. Rule in my hearts. Do do everything that needs to happen to me. Let your will be done. Whatever is good, let it happen today on earth as it's always done in heaven. So I just walk through the Lord's Prayer when I don't know what to pray, and it kind of becomes like a, an outline and that, that's helpful. So maybe sometimes we don't pray because we just don't even know what to talk about. We don't know what the agenda is, and that could be helpful. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's good. Are we out of time? Yeah, I think so. My brain hurts. Okay. (laughs) Bye. All right. Adios. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello.